We have been talking in these last couple of weeks about the image of God in man. And so this is part three and the final part of this three-week mini-series. And I, I hope that already you have begun to realize that the discussion of the image of God in man is not concerned only with our creation. In fact, as I've been saying, and I, I haven't really got into yet, but what I'm, we're going to get into today is that the image of God in man has even more to do with the new creation than the first creation. It is our past. That's how we were made. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the image of God in man is our past. It is our beginning. But even more, it's what we will be in Christ perfectly when we have finally arrived in His presence. Praise God. I praise God for His work in you. Praise God for His work in me. Your God has made you, and He has made you new, and He is making you new in the very image of His own dearly beloved Son, who is Himself the image of God. As we sing just that one line from In Christ Alone, no power of hell, no scheme of man, No power of hell, no scheme of man can keep this work of God from its sure completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me do a a quick recap and then we will make some progress. So, you and I and every single human being were made to bear unique resemblance to God above the rest of the creation. That's just the basic of what it means to be made in His image after His likeness. There is a unique resemblance in human beings, not physically, not with physical attributes, but we are made in His image to bear unique resemblance to God over, say, a dog or a tree or a star, anything in creation. And being made in His image, we were given authority and dominion to exercise over the creation on God's behalf as His stewards. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the commandment of God. The image of God then still continues in every human being so that every human being, because of that image, is worthy of respect, has true dignity, and is worthy of protection. The image of God continues in us, but it's now defaced and it's now defiled in us. We were made in the beginning to know Him more deeply than the rest of the creation can know Him. We were made in the beginning to make Him known more than the rest of the creation. But because we sinned in the beginning in Adam, we were cut off from God. We were made slaves to sin so that now even Even the intuitive knowledge of God that we possess, that is written upon our hearts, because we are spiritually dead, we suppress that and exchange the truth of God for the lie of evolution. Because we are slaves of sin, we laud all the sins that have morphed out of the lie of evolution. But, but God, 
But God, before time began, arranged, and in the fullness of time, Christ accomplished a work of redemption, which the Holy Spirit applies to your hearts and mine when we believe. That work of redemption is the gospel, meaning good news. It's the word of truth and it's the word of power that raises the spiritually dead, regenerates our hearts in Christ and gives us His life so that now the divine light of the divine glory, which our eyes were blind to as we sang just a moment ago, we can see. And it's shining full in the face of that one man. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who was Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh, who had come for us. He is the one who loved us and gave himself for us at the cross. We can see the glory of God in him. So with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we keep our hearts, our eyes trained on Christ. We behold him who is the true image of the invisible God the exact imprint of God's nature and the radiance of the Father's glory. We behold Him. And awestruck by His glory, we come to Him. And God makes us new. So God has begun this work in us. And He has made us new creations. He is renewing in us, by the new creation, what He had made very good in the first creation. So how has God done this? How How is it that God has made us new? We know it's by the gospel, what we call the gospel. We know it's by Jesus coming. But I, I want us to think, as we go through this message, think about the image of God. And I'm going to keep saying image and likeness. And the passages that we're going to cover today, those four are going to keep repeating these words, image and likeness. So, How has God made us new? I'll answer two ways here, and then especially the first one. I'm going to keep repeating throughout this message. I want you to understand. I want you to be amazed at this amazing work of amazing love. So here it is, okay? This is how God has made us new. Jesus Christ, who is the exact likeness of God, added to himself our likeness without our sin, that we might be renewed in Christ-likeness without our sin. To put it another way, and I'm tempted to repeat that first way, but I don't have the time. To put it another way, the Son of God, whose nature is eternally fully divine, added a human nature in time that we of a fallen nature might become as he is, fully human, and partake in the nature divine. That is what God is doing in you. That is what God is doing in me. This is what it means, the image of God in man, and this is what is ahead of us. There is, there is still, as we talk about the new creation, there is plenty of progress for us still to be made. And God is working this in us to make us after the image of Christ. We're in this process together, you and me. All of us who are new creations. We're in this process together. And 
what we need to do and what my aim in this message is that we would, with, with greater strength, press on to make this our own. This is a process. And we need to press on together to make this our own. So what I want to do is look at a series of passages that can help us to have a better perception of what God has done and is doing and, and will do at the day of Christ. And I think that with a better perception of what God has ahead for us, we will be strengthened to press on together and make this our own. So we're going to begin in Romans chapter 8. Now, as I said just a moment ago, I want you to listen and pay attention, especially to those words of image and likeness, okay? So in Romans chapter 8, Paul is telling us about the, the freedom that God has given to us from the tyranny of sin and death. He is telling us about how this freedom came to be. And of course, we know how we got this freedom is because God did this amazing work of amazing love by sending His Son. Now look at verses 3 and 4. I hope you have your Bibles ready, open today. If not, you know, the physical paper copy, maybe on your phone perhaps, not to text and not to play a game, not to engage in any kind of social media, but have it open with your Bible app. And look at Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This verse is absolutely staggering. God the Son who is eternally the likeness of the Father perfectly, added to Himself the likeness of man permanently. Why? Why would He do this? And just think about how staggering this is. I don't want to get distracted from our main... But just think about who we are. So many people have referred to this earth as just this pale blue dot, a speck against the dark vastness of space. See that in your mind's eye for a moment. There have been pictures taken from satellites out around uh, even Pluto, looked back on the earth, and just this little dot of an earth. And who are we on that little dot? That the infinite, eternal God, who is the exact likeness of God, would become as we are that He would come in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why did He do this? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh to lay Himself down for sin that God might condemn our sin in His flesh. See, it says at the end of that, or toward the end, He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned whose sin? Not Christ's sin. He condemned our sin. In whose flesh? Not our flesh, but in Christ's flesh. That's why Christ came. So that we who spurned God's likeness in Eden may once more be renewed in the likeness of God. Let me ask you a question. What would you do to your kid 
if you gave to them the most extravagant, lavish gift that you could imagine and afford, and the very next day you found that gift in the trash, what would you do to your kid? How heartbroken and grieved, and what would you be tempted to do to your kid? God gave to us in the beginning, in creation, the most precious gift that there was in creation. He gave us the likeness of himself. And what did we do? What did we say? We said, we don't want that. We would, we would rather have the devil's lies. We threw it away for the devil's lies. So what did God do? After giving us the most precious gift, which we threw away, he gave us more. To be accurate, he gave us all. His own son. We rejected God. We rejected being like God with the aim to be God. And obviously nothing that's made can be God. So we failed in our attempt to attain and overcome him. We rejected his likeness. And so God the Son took on our likeness to be crucified for us, to make us new in his likeness once more. Now, let's go down in the chapter to verses 28 to 30. I read verses 16 to 30 a little while ago. And verses, well, the whole chapter is really Paul speaking about the surety of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. So look at verse 28, such a familiar verse. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. God has His purpose for you. And the Bible says it is good. And we often, we read Romans 8 and we quote Romans 8, 28 in isolation from its context. And because we tear it from its context, we lose sight of what the good is. And we, we really, we were like, oh, I don't know what the good is. It's some general, kind of unspecific, undefinable, just feel good good, but we don't know what it is. Or we say, well, it's good life lessons. God is working all things in our lives and in the world to give us good life lessons. We can learn stuff from bad things that happen and that can help us. Or we'll, we'll say, okay, there's good circumstances coming out of these bad ones. And we'll get there. We'll see what God is doing. We just don't know yet, but it's good circumstances out of the bad ones. And that is not what Romans 8.28 is talking about. It's none of those things. So here is God's wonderful plan for your life. He is working all for this good. Look at verse 29. We have this word for. That is, Paul is now going to explain what the good is that God is working all things to produce. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, so do you see it? The good that God is working toward? The the, the thing that you were predestined for? He is working all things painful, and all things fresh, uh, 
pleasurable, and all of the in-between. God is working all things to conform you to the image of His Son. We were created in His image, but we sinned. Now in Christ, the ruined creations are becoming new creations conformed to His image. So, again, I want to kind of go back to what I said a, a little bit ago. He made us in His own likeness. He gave us this most precious gift in all of creation. And what did we say? We said, give us the devil instead. Give us the devil instead. And so, Jesus Christ, God's exact likeness, came to us in our likeness, for us and our salvation. Now, He's given us more. He has given us all. And what did we say? We said, give us the devil instead. We would rather Barabbas. And still, we could not put a stop to the purpose and plan of God. We could not put a stop to the good of His love. And so God is working everything in your life. You know, this, this is such cold comfort for those who go through tragedy to say, well, God is using that for good. And it's kind of left undefined and it's supposed to comfort them and they don't... What do you mean? I mean, how could it be? How is that even possible? God is working all things to draw you to Himself. Listen, in any tragedy, in any difficulty, there are, there are two sides at work. There is Satan who wants you distant from God, who wants you angry and bitter and afraid and unbelieving. And then there is God working to draw you to Himself, to make you to realize, I need Him because nothing in this world will do it for me. I can't find true and lasting satisfaction. I can't find salvation in this world. There is one and He made me for Him. That's what God is working all things to do. All things to draw you to Himself. We sometimes, we're going to get to verse 30 now. We sometimes say that nothing is a sure thing in this life. And the only sure things are what? (laughs) Death and taxes. But this is surer than taxes. Or even death. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, okay, so you, you take the, the, this is a chain here. These are links in the chain. Take the chain starting back to verse uh, 29. So it says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified which should make you say, what, hold on just a minute. Because all of those things can be in your past. He foreknew you from the foundation of the world and predestined you before time. He called you to Himself in time and space with the announcement of the Gospel. And believing, He justified you. But He hasn't glorified you yet. Not yet. That's the future. And yet it is so sure to be for those who are in Christ that Paul writes our future grace, our great hope for the time to come in the past tense. 
in the past tense because that is how sure it is. You can no more not be glorified than you can be de-justified. Are you in Christ? Then the only way that you won't be raised up to Him is if the risen Christ Himself be killed. Are you in Christ? The only way that you won't be glorified is if Jesus, who is glorified, be de-glorified. As sure as Jesus is in the likeness of God, you will be in the likeness of Him. Now understand something, because we might start to get wild imaginations about becoming gods. Jesus, the exact likeness of God, me and His likeness means I'm God. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. Nothing that is made can be God. Only the Creator can be God. So you will never possess the divine nature. You will never possess it as your own. But we are made partakers of the divine nature. You know that passage in Second Peter chapter 1? Partakers of the divine nature? I hope those words are familiar to you. But it says that by God's divine power and by His exceedingly great and precious promises, He has called us to His own glory and excellence that we may be partakers of the divine nature. He took on our likeness and He is making us in His. This is the most staggering, unfathomable, immeasurable love that Christ would take on our likeness permanently that we might be made in His likeness. What kind of love is upon you? What kind of freedom are you in? What kind of glory is yours? Nothing in the world can stop this. And anybody in the world can get in on it. Anybody. And so we need to spread the word. Let's go to another passage and we're going to cover these more quickly now. 1 John chapter 3. John, in this first letter, writes about the assurance of eternal life. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 of 1 John 3. John opens this chapter, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So John says, see how we have been loved? We are already in Christ, the dearly beloved children of God. And see then how we will be loved? Well, we can't see it exactly. And we can't tell it exactly. Because we haven't yet seen the fullness of Christ's glory. 
But when He appears, when He comes again, just as He promised, so that we may be with Him, so that we may see Him as He is, then, then, we will be made like Him. And that's how God is going to show us His love in the future. See how we've been loved? We're already His children. See how we're going to be loved? We're going to be made like Jesus Christ. In this passage, John is speaking about the total transformation of who you are. Not that you're going to cease to be human, but really that you will be more fully human who you were always meant to be. We will be made like Christ in... Well, we'll be made like Jesus in His Spirit, without any sin. And we'll be made like Jesus in His body, without any death. That's how we'll be made like Him. And so the Bible also promises that at His coming, at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise... The living in Christ will follow, and just like that, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed, and then, finally then, death will be swallowed up in victory. This is what is coming, and this is what nothing in hell or in the world can stop. For the people of God, this is what is coming, it's where we're headed. Now notice what John says last in, in verse 3. He says, everyone who is hoping for this, hoping for this likeness of Jesus is already conforming, purifying himself, herself, as he is pure. Now to Colossians. This is our great hope. To be glorified with Christ. That's what it means to be glorified. It means to finally be conformed to His image perfectly. We will have His likeness. We will be His likeness. And so this great work is already happening. It's not just awaiting that day when Christ comes. We're already being made into His likeness. So Colossians, you don't have to turn here, but Colossians chapter 1, which we read at length last week. Colossians 1.15 says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God is like? Put your eyes on Jesus, because there is no God different from Him. He is the perfect image of God. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. So, as he, if we would keep on reading in Colossians 1, which we're not going to do, this is what we would see. Just as he is the head of the first creation, so he is the head of the new creation. The image of God was made in our likeness, or took on our likeness, might be better language, that we might be made in his. So in Colossians 3, just scan over the first few verses. It says, that you have already been raised with Christ. Not yet in your body, of course. Not yet speaking physically, but spiritually, you have already been raised up with Christ. The old you has died. And the new you, the real you, your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
So the question comes then, how does this affect the here and now? How must we live in light of these realities? We must live in such a way that these heavenly realities are practically realized in the here and now on earth. It's like, as Paul is going to say in verses 9 and 10, it's like changing your clothes. You put off the old self that belongs to this world and you put on the new self. So he says at the end of verse 9 and verse 10, look at what he says. He says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which, get these words, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, do you catch that? You have been made a new person. You have a new self. The old self has died. The new you, who you are always meant to be, is who you are. You are a new creation of Christ in His image. What was twisted is being straightened out. What was broken is being healed. What was defiled is being renewed. And how is this process, it is a process, how is this process progressed? He says at the end of verse 10, we are being renewed according to His image in knowledge. In knowledge. You must know your God. Give all of your life to knowing Jesus and His likeness will be given more and more to you. That's the promise of Colossians chapter 3. The new you is being renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ. Know Him deeply. Know Him deeply and you will become like Him deeply. Give all your life to knowing Him. And His likeness will be given more and more to you. Now to our last passage in 2 Corinthians. The main thing that I want you to see is in chapter 3, but we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 and 6 first. And again, this is a passage that I read earlier in our service. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Here in chapter 4, Paul is declaring to us the, the, the Satan overcoming power of the gospel. Now the, these words I think are familiar to you. In verse 4 it says, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is, this is a sad Tragic verse. This is Satan's goal in everything he does. Even in the life of the, the Christian, as he works with his hosts against us, this is what Satan is always aiming for. He doesn't want you to see the glory of Jesus. He doesn't want you believing that Jesus is all worthy. He doesn't want you realizing how beautiful he is, how compelling, how attractive, how desirable 
Christ is. He wants you blind to that. Even as a believer, that's what He's doing against us. He wants the vision of our spiritual hearts dimmed. Just He wants Christ shrouded with the fog of our sins. That's what He wants. That's what He has done in the lives of unbelievers. And of course, we were there once, right where they are now. So we feel for them. And the question is, how is it that we who once were there where they are came out of that? How did we get out? How did we escape? Well, Paul answers in verse 5. Someone proclaimed the lordship of Jesus Christ to you in the gospel. And something happened. A new creation happened with the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness in the first creation, has shown in our hearts in the new creation to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have been a Christian for a while now, like you're you know, pretty spiritually matured and you haven't yet poured over 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, what are you doing? What is your life so busy for that you, you know, we got to. We, these verses are huge to understand what, what Satan is doing, what God has done to redeem us from his clutches. These verses are huge. So what God is, he, he lit a light in us by the word of his son. And we, whose, whose eyes had only seen darkness before, whose hearts had only loved darkness before, were gobsmacked, stunned at the light of the divine glory shining full in the face of Jesus Christ. And we, because of God's work, have cried out like Thomas. Remember Thomas and Jesus' resurrection appearance? We have, like Thomas, cried out, my Lord and my God. Now back to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. God, by His Spirit, has set us free from that Satan-induced blindness. God has set us free by His Spirit to see the Son. So here it is in verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, that is the blindness, the blinders, all of it, spiritually blinding us, it's all gone. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I feel like all that I do is proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. And there may be times, maybe, where you have thought, why can't he be a little more practical? And there's a room for the practical application that we see through the epistles 
in the Sermon on the Mount, in Proverbs, all of that. There is room. There is room. Okay? But you might think, why isn't he more practical? Give us a, you know, seven steps to a new, better me kind of thing. But listen, the proclamation of the glory of Jesus is what changes you. That's what changes you. So that you are changed to be like Him. And all, every realm of your life affected as a student, as a parent, as an employee, as a retired person, in every relationship, as a son or a daughter, as father, a mother, grandparent, friend, neighbor, the glory of Jesus, beholding the glory of Jesus, this is what changes your life. And this is how the process goes on and on and on. So what can we do to further it along? Keep your enlightened eyes alight with Jesus and trained on Him, who is the glory and image of God. And as the Bible says, you will be transformed into that same image, into His likeness. And look at this promise too. You know, we feel in the Christian life we're just, we're slogging. We're trying so hard, but you know how it is. One, two, three steps forward. One, two steps back. And sometimes four. And, but we're making progress, but it's hard and it's slogging and it's difficult and it doesn't feel glorious. But Paul says it is. He says it's glory all the way from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory we go. And the Spirit who keeps it going, moving in us, moving us along, He is moving us nearer and nearer to the likeness of Christ. So how do we do this? What's the secret? What's the silver bullet? There is no secret and there is no silver bullet as you already know. It is opening your Bible prayerfully. Read your Bible and pray. I already knew that. There you go. Not too difficult. We open our Bibles on our own and together. And we always do it on our own and together prayerfully. So what we are doing is keeping our eyes fixed where Jesus is fixed. In the Gospel. In the Word of Truth. That's why we're not wandering the woods on Sundays looking for Jesus in nature. We're here with our Bibles opened, beholding the glory of God in His face where Jesus is found. So we, I hope that you have been given here in this mini-series a vision of the staggering, amazing work of God from creation to the new creation, all focused on Jesus who is the image of God and us being made into His likeness. We were created in that image, but now we are new creations. What was twisted is being reshaped. What was broken is being healed. What was defiled is being renewed. And what was fallen is being raised in Christ. And here is the promise. Close with Just a few sentences, but here's the promise. I am sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Praise Him with all that you are for this. And then press on with joy. Let's be like Paul. Press on to make it your own because Christ Jesus has made you His own. Let us press on. Let us keep beholding Him. Changed until that day when we are finally fully changed into His image.